Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Okay, everybody, uh, just a couple quick updates uh, on Nebraska Bowl Service, Vogler Seaman Center, uh, before we get into today's episode of the bullpen. Out at Nebraska Bowl Service, uh, we're in the middle of summer, middle of July here. Uh, not sure when you're going to listen to this podcast, but the actual date is uh, 16th of July. So far, currently this year, I just want to uh, really applaud my team out there. Uh, so far, we are currently uh, just hovering right around uh, 825,000 units of really high-quality semen produced out there for the year. And uh, currently have about 80 bulls out there, stolen collection uh, during the summertime. And uh, our June and July in Nebraska kind of flipped around. Uh, late May and uh, June were really, really hot. And July has a bit moderated down a little bit. Uh, so the bulls are turning back around and, and really produce and starting to produce really good semen again. But uh, I really want to give uh, my team out there a congratulations for, for putting out that much semen. And also, I wanted to... Uh, kind of uh, talk about the quality of semen that we're producing at uh, Nebraska Bowl Service and Vogler Semen Center. Most of you probably know we collect a lot for Alta and Gen X, and uh, they follow that semen. Uh, you know, they do fertility reports on their bulls. And uh, I was informed a couple months ago that when they did this, our stud, Nebraska Bowl Service, uh, they grade all these on a curve, and we're at the top of the curve for conception on these bulls which and we're about three points ahead of the other bull studs which uh, is absolutely fantastic so the team out there at nebraska bull service and in, and in ashland and voglers are doing an outstanding job producing really really high quality semen uh, and then more to speak back in ashland where we uh, started the ivf facility uh, last october we just uh, a couple weeks ago uh, and we're in affiliation with bovatech uh do a great job. We have uh, Dr. Clem Neely, Neely out of Kansas come out up and does our aspirations. Uh, about two weeks ago, we aspirated quite a few cows uh, and had really good luck, but one cow set a record for Bovatech. We aspirated uh, 23 oocytes, and uh, seven or eight days later, they froze 23 number one embryos. So we were 100% on... Uh, on that IVF flush. And the really great thing about it, the, the embryos out on that flush, yeah, we, we pulled the oocytes and sent them to Bovatech, but we also collected the bull that was used to, uh, to freeze those embryos. So that's really, I mean, it makes us all feel good back in, back in Ashland and McCook that uh, we kind of see the business full circle, but just a quick shout out to all my, all the employees back there. And we did have a company uh, employee get together Last weekend, and damn, they can put away the prime rib. We uh, went through 35 pounds of prime rib, uh, cheesy hash browns, and then I have a good friend in Omaha hooked me up with some uh, some pies from uh, City Cafe. Went through uh, eight 
huge pies. So the team, not only can they collect semen, they can put away the food. But we had we had a great time. So thanks a lot to all the employees out there. Uh, in today's episode, folks, I just want you to uh, get yourself a beverage, sit down, grill a steak, because we have got some outstanding individuals in here today. And we're going to talk about what's going on in the beef industry between the price discrepancy uh, with the cattle and the feeders and and the the product in the stores to kind of see what's going on and uh so sit back and take a listen uh, you're really going to enjoy these folks if you have any questions get hold of me at nebraskabullservice.com voglercattle.com or uh, voglersiemenscenter.com and follow us on follow me on facebook les vogler uh also nebraska bull service and you all you know all the places to follow so uh thanks for listening folks So thanks again, gentlemen, for coming. Thanks again. Thanks, gentlemen, for coming in today to the bullpen. So I'm just going to let, I've got uh, three outstanding individuals in here today. I've got uh, Chris Earl, Maxwell, New Mexico. Steve Strafford from Pratt, Kansas. Matt Lowry from Burwell, Nebraska. So Matt, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit about your bio and we'll get, uh, then we'll get Steve and Chris and then we will, we'll rock and roll with this. Well, first and foremost, Les, it's a pleasure being here. And it's a pleasure being in the room with uh, absolutely some people that are leaders of the industry and and, and, and in very diverse parts of the industry. And I think the the one thing is, is we're going to be able to represent a lot of different people when we do this. A little bit about myself. Uh, First and foremost, I'm in a ranching family. We've ranched the same ground for 130 years on the same ranch, the same same outfit. And so it's very important for me to be here and, and say a little bit about this. But I've been in the auction business the last 25 years. And I've been blessed to be in the auction business, not only in a livestock market, but also in the registered side of it. And so within within that, I've seen all aspects of this, not only am I a producer, uh, we feed some cattle from time to time. Uh, I'm in the livestock market. I'm also in the livestock industry as far as marketing registered livestock. And so, uh, and, and I'm going to pass the torch to Chris and, and, and I know he's, uh, he, he's so well-rounded, especially from the registered side of it, but from the producer side and the packer side and understanding what some of these cattle do and some of the value. And then when we go on to Steve, I mean, he's going to bring a completely different look into this in, 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 in terms of marketing and competitive marketing and the things that, uh, that we do, but I'm going to turn it over to Chris and uh, and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Uh, Les, again, appreciate you having us in. Obviously, it's always great getting together with people and talking about something we're passionate about. And, uh, you know, I thought about coming in today and, and, and what we're going to really cover. But, you know, I can tell you one thing. All the people in this room are passionate about the people in this business. Uh, even so, as much as the beef, as much as the genetics, you know, we're passionate about the people. That's why we made the trip in uh, to – to get together uh uh so i've got a ranch in uh in uh, maxwell new mexico we've been in the purebred angus business for 30 years um i do over 100,000 miles uh, a year traveling to uh support a consulting company that we have upwards of 25 clients in every region of the country so uh as tough and as challenging as that is to do um, it does give you a fairly good, uh, a fairly all, uh, a fairly good representation of where this industry is at from border to border, sea to sea, and uh, and uh, so the perspective that I see, I think I can bring a unique perspective as it relates to uh, how the beef cattle business um, adds to America or takes away from America, 
and I hope to bring that to the discussion today. So, uh, again, thanks for having me again, Les. It's an honor to be, 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 be here and look, look forward to the uh, talk and the debate today. So. Yeah, thanks for coming in. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I grew up in central Kansas, been the same place my whole life. Um, family grew up dairy and commercial cattle. Um, started working at one of the major markets in the country um, when I was very young. Um, got into order buying, sell some purebred bulls. Um, you know, just pretty much the commercial cattle business, what I do every day. Um, so, like Chris has said, I'm glad to be here. And that's why we're all here. It's a people business, and that's what we enjoy. Um, you get down to the work of it, it's not that enjoyable. If it wasn't for the people, we wouldn't do it. That's very true. So, I mean, that's what drives us all. Right. Um, you know, the end game may be different for different entities, but uh, I think somewhere in the middle, there's a, a better ground than what we're going down right now. Absolutely. <clears throat> and I think when I and I speak for all of this and you and you brought something up that was very, very good. You know, it, this is a people business. And the reason that all of us are sitting in here right now is we have questions about what is happening to these people within this industry. And I, and, and, and our hearts go out to some of the people within this industry, not only marketing cattle, but first and foremost, before we go any further within this deal, uh, my heart pours out to those people in North Dakota, South no Dakota, in, in some of these drought Absolutely. areas. And, and as I said, bring this up for those of you that are blessed with some feed, I, I, I want to think, I want you to think about some of the people that are up North. There are no crops. There are no hay. Uh, they're completely burn up and, and, and uh, I was speaking with a really good friend of mine and a good ranching family from White Owl, South Dakota, and and they're very concerned. Um, you know, they, they've, they've still got all their livestock. They're, they'll probably make it throughout the summer. But uh, in terms of feed, they don't know what they're going to do. And, they, and it's not just one person. It's a lot of people. And as we look in and if we keep going through our cow kill and what's going on right now, and if we continue to do our cow kill, we will slaughter more cows this year than we did in 2012. Mm. And, and, and so we're big on number. records. And, and, and we're talking about some big, big numbers that are going on right now within this industry. And so there's some things, there's some things that we've got to think about in, in, in going forward. And, and as I talk about it and I, and I go back and I, and I talk about the reason that we're here is because we care about people. But we care about people enough. We want to be a voice and we want to say, hey, some of these things that are going on right now are not right. And and we're calling a spade a spade. And I know today we're living in a world that you kind of makes you turn your head. I mean, and, and you're questioning a lot of things that are going on within this industry. But, you know, how do we fix this? What do we do? What do we, you know, what can we do as a, from a local, from a state to a national thing? What are some of the things, in your opinion, Chris, from a local to a state to a national thing as, as people and as producers, how can we how can we look at some of the issues that we believe that are a problem. Well, I think you bring up a great point, Matt, in that one of the things I really wanted to cover today, and 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 and, and Steve can really get into the nuts and bolts of a lot of this. But you know, a lot of what, of what we see, right? I mean, in America today, they want to convince you if it's faith, cattle, government, they want to convince you you're not seeing what you're seeing. There's huge agendas out there that are looking to sway. What, especially us three who are in this business 24-7 every day, what we see and what we've been seeing for 20, 30 years. And, you know, they want to tell you that, you know, four major packers that own 85% of the processed, you know, product is not a problem for the producer. Uh, I hate to tell you, it's a problem. Yeah. Um, 
and our and our small and our small town show it. You know, as I travel the country, the the most thriving place in town is the Casey's. You know, or the co-op. You know, and and as you say, that's not enough. That's not enough. And and I grew up this way, and I live in a small town. I live in Burwell, Nebraska. It's a town of eleven hundred people. Yep. I'm going to take. I'm going to say take several towns here. I'm going to take Burwell, Burwell, Nebraska. I'm going to take Bassett, Nebraska. I'm going to take Atkinson, Nebraska. And I'm going to take Valentine, Nebraska, because those are all markets that I'm involved with. Every one of those towns has a livestock market. Every one of those towns thrive on the day that there's a sale. You take Pratt, Kansas, I guarantee that town booms the day that there's a sale. And, and from the time, from the beginning of time, we can go back 100 years. That was the day that everybody came to town. They traded, they did business, and they did business that day. And that's what built these towns. That's what built these cities. And so when we take this part of this industry out, if we take the competitive part out of the industry, which was was spoken not too long ago that said the system is not broken, but yet we take the competitive part out of the marketing, we lose all of that. We lose our people. Yeah, that's a great lead-in for Steve. I mean, Steve's brought up the point. I mean, and he's taught me we became friends 20 years ago. You know, and over that time, you, you, you get to know a person and you get to know empathy, what he cares for other people. You get to know a lot of things that are past the beef and the part of this business. And uh, a lot of those things, you know, uh, I became aware of, you know, and Steve's always told me cows build towns, you know, steers, yearlings, they don't build towns. They don't leave the tire centers open. They don't leave the feed store open. Cows build towns. And as the cows go away, you see small town America go away. And that's not good for America. It's not good for land values, which a lot of the wealthy own land values. You want to see somebody cry and whine, moan. Wait till these land values, when they got no other value, but somebody come hunt them. And that's not going to work in America. It holds a tremendous amount of equity and value. Land, land does. So we have to get this thing headed in the right direction. And I'd like to have, you know, Steve come, you know, he's got a great perspective on how competition and, and, and how price discovery brings that about. So... Yeah, and I think we're all here fighting the fact that uh, um, we're not all playing the same game anymore. I mean, this is America and capitalism, and I'm all for it. And I don't want government mandates, and everybody wants to throw you under the bus like you're being radical and and wanting to bring the government into this. I liken it to a, a football game. I mean... You know, you can't line up against the other team if you let them buy off the refs and you give them 85% of your playbook every week. Right. You know, exactly. you're not playing the same game. That's a great analogy. And that's what we're doing today in the kettle business. We're giving them 85% of the playbook. They own the refs, and we're <laughs> yeah. trying to compete with them. Yeah. And those people that are eating up the equity of that they've been um, handed down because they work for nothing. A lot of people want to say it was given to them. Those people get handed equity because their entire family worked for three generations right. for nothing. Exactly. Those kids came home and worked. They came home on the weekend. They came home from college on the breaks to supply that family to go forward in this business. And today we're eating away at that every year. Every year. To give the margin to foreign-owned packing companies mm-hmm. and the corporates that are big and have the special deals are the ones throwing those people under the bus. I'm fighting for the same game. Yep. If you can out-efficience me, if you can outwork me, which they can't outwork the American producer. No, can't do it. There's nobody that'll work cheaper. Nope. Or more efficient. Nope. So play the same game and we'll compete. I agree with that. That's what I get up every day for. And I think Steve brings a great point on the work thing. Look, at the end of the day, 
you know, I've spent my life listening to people that have chosen not to do the physical part of what we do, right? I mean, the everyday getting up and ranching takes a dedication to much more than the dollar. It takes a dedication to uh, competitiveness. It takes a dedication to survivability. It meets challenges. And right now, as we look across America, people are doing everything they can not to meet a daily challenge. That's not the producers that Steve and I or Matt and I come across on a daily basis. These are people that get after it every day, every day. And the people that we wind up taking advice from, land-grant universities, governments, associations, I'm not going to lop them all into one basket, but look, they don't do what we do. They don't get up on Saturday mornings and work all day. Got a great friend, uh, uh, the, you, you, you know, you, you know the, the Peter Sex in South Dakota. Reed has a great line. It always stuck in my head. We work on Sundays here. <laughs> That's what he says. They go to church. They work on Sundays. That's always stuck in my head because guess what? I work on Sundays. And that's just, it's my choice. It's what we do. But I think we have to start looking at, looking at advice and looking at people that do what we do. You know, how, why are we listening to suits tell us how to manage our grass? Exactly. Why are we listening at those, some of those things? Because the people that I see as I travel that do the best at managing their place, managing their herd, their program, are people that do it every day. And I think as we go forward and we look at trying to change the paradigm that got us here, I think we have to really start questioning where we get our advice from. You know, and you bring up a great point. You know, Chris, as we look at this, you you said a mouthful when you said the people that we represent and the people that work very hard, they work very hard. And most people who are in business tend to their own business. Correct. And they do a very, very good job. But maybe my message to these people is it's, it is now time that you have to look outside of the box. Maybe reach out inside of your circle to these people and not only management, but how we market, the things that we do. We are going to have to change as cattlemen. And I don't care which organization you belong to or whatnot. Or what, it, 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 all of us are susceptible to what's going on right now. You know, we're susceptible to higher prices. I mean, these fixed costs are getting higher and higher and higher. So we have to come up with different ways and different things that we can do. But us as producers have got to go with inside our circle and reach out to people with inside our circle who have our best interest in mind and have nothing to gain from it. That's the key right there. They have nothing to gain from it except their knowledge, and they want to see you do better. I'll let Steve comment, but he's he's got a mantra he stays on. Support the people that support you. That's what he does. You know, keep a scorecard and, and, and he can comment on it. Cause I, I think it's a great path forward. Support the people that believe in our way of life. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, we live it every, every one of us and where we grew up and, and, uh, like I said before, I mean, it, it's a people business and that's what makes you do it. Um, you know, if I was working for a some mega corporation and I'm just a number and I'm serving X amount of people like, uh, the postal service. It ain't worth it, man. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I deal with people that I've known three generations. I, I started buying kettle for their grandpa and now they're my best friend and they're in their mid twenties. And I watch yeah. them and their wives and, and kids and I watch them work hard. They're not, 
they're not losing equity and they're not going out of this business because they're building $350,000 homes and they're going to the boat every week and lake every weekend. It's true. It's not by mismanagement. That's correct. They're working their ass off. They're buying a product that, that we know feeds well, hangs well. It's what the industry has asked them to do. They come to people like... Matt and Chris represent, and you collect bulls on, and they give five, six, seven thousand for these bulls, and then they line up and uh, and the industry wants to sell their cattle as a commodity, and our job is to differentiate that, and that's what we work hard to do every day. And they're home working; they can't understand the business and the fight and how we got where we are. That's our job, and quite honestly, we laid down on our job, letting the associations Chris referred to take the lead. Because we were working hard. Right, without question. And the, the corporations and the, and the government and the foreign uh, packing houses have preyed upon the fact we like to work so much, we'll do it for nothing, we'll do it all the time, and we'll ignore what they're doing to us. Exactly. And that yeah. happened for 35 years, and that's why we're in so a fist fight situation now. we're in right now. Yeah. <clears throat> so it goes back to what we talked about, changing the paradigm that got us here, you know, and I and – I, you know, and I, some of those things, and, 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 and Steve brings up a good point. You know, we are, us three are, are outspoken now, uh, but it's not like I haven't seen this thing coming. You know, have I gotten involved and done enough? Absolutely not. That's why I'm here today. Uh, I, I don't want to see this thing go away. And, uh, you know, if it's going to go away, if we have something we can't turn the tide, then I'm going to go down swinging trying to, trying to rectify the ship. But there's some stuff that needs to be rectified. One, I think, is, you know, the silent majority needs to quit being silent in all phases of America and God bless the good people that want to go out there and be left and let be left alone. I'm one of them. I want to ranch. I want to work with good people. I don't want to be here today. I don't want to have to get under the line. I don't want to be the bad guy to some and the good and the good guy to some. I, I, I just want to ranch, but this is where people, this is where our lifestyle has gotten to good people have to stand up and fight for what they have and believe they want to hand off to their kids or grandkids. Cause what we have found is we don't have an advocate. We don't have a producer advocate that can, that's going out there and fighting for us. And what Steve and I have found is, you know, just as we've gotten started, this is a tremendous machine that is built to take the dollar out of the wallet of the producer and fuel a corporate deal that is totally based on, in my opinion, greed and efficiency. And we have to change that, you know, because there's bigger things involved at the end. And what I've seen, the bigger things involved, I'm all for, Steve referenced, uh, I'm not a government guy. I'm an old-time conservative. I don't want a subsidy. I don't want to pencil it to my banker. I don't want to pencil I don't want. I don't want a handout. I want a free shot at a market as an individual. And that's all I ask. And guess what? That's in our Constitution. And you know, another thing is, is is we bring up America. We should have choices as Americans. We should have choices as cattlemen. You know, and Steve brought up a point that right now, the United States cattlemen has jumped through every hoop and done everything that they've ever asked them to do and done it more efficiently than any country in the world. Correct. End of story. We've created the best product in the world. We've created the safest product in the world. When we look at health protocols, we talk about disease traceability. We've done everything that we possibly could do as an American cattleman and done it better than anyone else. Yep. Yet, they still say it's not enough. Right. 
at what given point in time is this enough? Are, are, are you wanting to own my cows? Are you wanting to take me out? Because I guarantee if, if, you want to own my, if you want to own the cows that walk my ranch, that's fine. But I clock out at 5 o'clock. Don't forget <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> but that's the game, Matthew. The yes. game is to keep us busy with that stuff, right? The game is to keep us with the line of feeding the world. Yeah, so well, yeah. we all did that in all hopes of positioning ourselves for to get paid for what we thought we raised, which is a great product and a great system. We've all done that, but guess what? As what Steve says, we were all home working and doing it. The powers that be were aligning a system to where we see today, which is a great product raised efficiently that never hits a competitive market for the producer, ever. No. Never hits it. They use our love and our passion for the industry against us. Right. Great article in Beef. I talked to Steve this morning coming in. Great article in Beef Magazine coming in, you know, yesterday, I think, out about the, about the J, 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 JBS brothers. Look, these, these are intelligent people. They didn't get to where they're at by being, you know, they were in jail four years ago or whatever, yeah. they, by, by being <laughs> crooks. They might be that too, but these are intelligent people, excellent at what they do. And they start capturing all the powers that be that needed to put us in place to source what they need. Because they can't afford to go hire people like us or other people out there that are in the fields. They can't source them. So what they did is they start start cutting these side deals in order that they capture the, you know, they broke people for 20 years, captured the product, now they're controlling the product that flows through a bottleneck that they can price anything they want on the other side. And you guys and I, and I know all know cattle buyers. They don't even know what they don't even have to pay what they're paying now for these fat cattle. They don't, they're just paying enough to keep, you know, people off, off, off of their backs. And that's where we're at. That system, what we've aligned ourselves uh, has to change. I mean, it has to change. The, the American producer has lost his leverage and we have to change that. So Chris, Chris and Steve, Matt, how do we how do we go about doing some of that stuff? How do we start to to stick up for ourselves and get there's get the back? guy that's in it every day, right there. Well, I'd like to touch back on what Chris just finished saying. That uh, one of the big comments everybody wants to make when we're fighting this is we don't want the cattle to go like the chickens and the hogs. Um, the problem is we're already there, only it's worse. Absolutely. The chickens and the hogs, the corporations have to own the buildings and, and, and own the animals. And they've got the beef industry down to such a mar- slim margin. But the guy that owns the cows is still burning up the equity, paying the interest, renting the ground, owning the ground. I mean, they're supplying all the capital. The difference between the chickens and the hogs is you can't put them on a little spot and house them in a building. Right. But other than that, they've got us right where where they want us um you know i think the the beef things worse than the chickens and the hogs but the 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 difference that can keep us separate from that is you can control the climate and put those hogs and chickens in a building in any different state in the union and make it the same we can't do that in the cattle business the suits that chris refers to and um, academia wants to make these cattle all the same and predictable like the chickens and the hogs. Correct. 
But I live in central Kansas. That's <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot of cattle at Okeechobee, Florida. Yeah. Quite a few at Mandan, North Dakota, unless the drought makes them all so out that I was at last week. Right. You can't ever run that same beast there. No, absolutely That's not. why there's genetic diversity, and there has to be. Why do the Packers not want that? You've got the new age yard managers that don't know shit from applesauce. <laughs> You've got fat cattle buyers. I mean, I'm lucky. I started when I was 14 years old. Yeah. So go back to the fat cattle buyer when I was 15, 16 that was retiring. I mean, he's dead or 100 now. Yeah. They walked in those pen of fat cattle and predicted grade and yield. Were they right? My business, I work on a 1%, 2% margin. If I'm right 51 or 2% of the time in the year, is a damn good year. Right. I get proven I'm wrong every day. Every day. I mean, and well, that's what we do. But our job is to sit there and evaluate condition and flesh and feedability and efficiency and, you know, so on and so forth. Even climate. I send cattle in Nebraska they are going to be under a roof. I send cattle to Kinsley that's going to be humid and hot and they're going to die of AIP. I send cattle to western Kansas. You can feed a different one at a different place. And uh, these fat cattle buyers couldn't go in and, and put their job on the line. Instead of giving 120000 a year and three and a half times their salary bonus because you're screwing the producer $800 a head. Uh, send them out there and have them work on commission. Have them work on how they're kettled. Then they have to follow these kettle that have a reputation like Matt, Chris, I do. I don't get paid because I'm the only one that can put my ass in a damn soft seat and shove french fries in my mouth all day and flop my right arm. Dang, I thought you. Were, I mean, I thought that's all you were good at. You, you could even go to you know K State today and find some people that can do that. Right. You know, if they'll show up. Yep. But that's not what I get paid for. I get paid because I live, breathe, and was born there. Yep, right. I know what Mister Hartz does with his cattle. I know how they're handled. I know the right. bulls he bought. I see the day they came into the sale barn. Right. I walk the pen that they're sorting, and I sort a good part of them. Right. That's what I get paid for. Yep. So when did we let the fat cattle buyer make 150000 a year and 350000 in bonuses that JBS is glad to give him for him being the front man for fleecing the public, and you're hiring guys with no spine, no emotion, and no heart that don't give a shit, so they'll be on the take, mm-hmm. and they don't have to know nothing. All they got to go around shoot you in the foot to buy the 15% of the kill we don't hand to them. Right, and I think that's part and of And they split the yards up to do that. So, come on, let's hold them accountable for what we do every day. If the people at home that working their ass off saw the big picture and realized it, it would piss them off that somebody's got that easy of a gig in the business because the rest of oh, us yeah. don't. Yeah, absolutely. Right. right. You know, so Les got into some, wanted to ask about some solutions and, 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 you know, this thing didn't get here by being able to be corrected by a couple. But there are there is a process by which I think um, uh, that we have to go in order to get change, I believe. And just like in my purebred business, I mean, if you don't have options, if you don't have diversity we talked a little bit about today, um, then you take away the competitive nature of the field. And right now, beef, you know, cattle to beef, needs a competitive nature. I can feel it in the commercial thing. I can see when those next generation of kids don't want to come home. It's not exciting enough. It's not competitive enough. 
they want to be part of something exciting and competitive. You know, prime Angus beef right now is not a commodity. It's a desired product that should be put in front of the public and bid on. That's what it should be because that's how bad people want it. That's how what we saw over this last year, that's how bad people want this product. It deserves price discovery. It really does. And especially certain times of times of the year, you know, we have to get, we have to vote different as people. You know, we have to get people, Steve and I are, are, are uh, uh, awarded that uh, we have some friends that are in government, that are on ag committees, that are in high, high government, that we talk to on a regular basis. Warriors, patriots. We need to, we need to vote for those people that understand that, um, you know, having uh, 85% of a finished product through four companies, two of which is foreign, is not good for America. That's not a tough concept if you're not on the take, if you're not part of the linear system. But it's not a tough concept to see how that can really affect, uh, you know, America worse. So we need to get involved in the political process. We have been, uh, especially Steve and I, we've been tough on the checkoff. We need an advocate. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got a great friend that's in the alcohol business, beer business, and he just looks at me like I'm you know, when I'm whining and complaining about the cattle thing, he says, Chris, you know, we've got the best thing we ever did is we have a lobbyist and we pay him a lot of money and it's the best money we spend. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, you ever, he said, you ever wonder why, uh, he said, you ever wonder why Budweiser don't, doesn't own bars. And he was doing a correlation to me on the cattle to beef yeah. thing. He said, because they don't them all. And he's right. You know, the major, Absolutely. they don't them all. And that's why they don't let them. That's why the government says can't do it. You know, so I think we need an advocate in, in there that's for the producer that is fighting on a daily basis because we've all thought we've had it mm. through NCBA. We don't. Not so much. We don't. So we need that a- a- advocate. We need options in uh, local options. Uh, I've pitched a program to um, some government some government officials about an accreditation program for, you know, veterinaries that would allow them, that would allow products. I had a small meat company in Northern Illinois. And one of the real challenges was to get inspectors to find a plant that was federally inspected and to get graders in a timely enough fashion that you could serve uh, restaurants, steakhouses, golf courses, whatever on a regular basis. And you can see the upswell of people wanting to do that now. I mean, can you imagine if they were able to get their product federally inspected on a local level? It would be. It would add a lot of diversity. It would add a lot of options for people. It would actually bring people into our business, which we desperately need. You know, and right I think why, the state of Wyoming has done some neat things in their different laws and in how they've done that. And and I don't know if that's something that needs to be adopted, but I think it's definitely something that needs to be looked at. I think it can be modified a little bit, but I think that there's some solutions in this deal in, you know, and how we can we can at least try to move some of those. But the yep. the, the one... One, my, my final point, man, we can do all this stuff. We can build packing places. We can do all this stuff. Until we fix four... Own 85, they're going to own us. They're going to own us. They're already selling that product. They've already got contracts. They've already got people. But until, in 1921, they knew that this could possibly happen. In 1921. Packers and Stockyards Administration. Right. Knew that this could possibly be the scenario that would not be good for this country. And we're here. We've been gaining on this thing for 30 years. And now, today, and you know, it was, you know, it was really brought out because of the uh, the COVID deal, we're here. 
it is there there is no fu- market fundamentals that work on this thing right right <coughs> right right now so until we do that but until we do something in order to i'm not smart enough guy to know how to break that thing up in antitrust legislation whatever i'm not that guy but i know that is the bottleneck that is the issue by which they control this whole thing underneath it so we need to split up for uh, food security and national security. And, you know, the fear mongers here, the people that want to leave it the same, that are, are fearing government mandates or, or throwing people under the bus saying, we, we want the government in it, we want the government in it. But if you let the thing constrict any more than it is and the big entities get bigger and they're more secluded into certain states, when we see it every day in American politics, you know, the cycles of some states have governors with balls and will do something and some have reps that will and won't. Do we really want all the packing and all the feed yards into five states? And then by chance, those states get wacky governors and legislatures. You know, what happens to our business? You want to talk about government mandate there. Get it so little that it's in few states. Who knows what happens? This I country, mean, we last March, was real close. As, as much as I'm 54, I mean, last March, when we ran out, you know, when the, when the cupboards went bare for a couple of weeks, that's a scary time for America. When people, when the, when, when the masses panic, you know, because there's not protein in the, in the shelves, that's a bad day for America. It's a bad day. So, well, we messed up. <clears throat> uh, I wouldn't have been smart enough at the time if I'd have been old enough at the time. But if we do... If we took those checkoff funds and built regional five to six hundred head packing plants every two hundred miles in this country, the real communities would would be thriving, and I think the entire the entire country would be better off because you wouldn't have the signs at Arby's that said we can't get nobody to work, so we're closed. You wouldn't go into a restaurant and you look in and there's twelve open tables, but they say it's going to be an hour wait, right? Because they don't have anybody wait on those tables, right? If we'd have had those spread across the country, the people that Matt and Chris and everybody works for every day would have weaned those cattle, kept them at home, ran the grain through them like they did in Iowa and Illinois in the farmer feeders, and kept the elevators out from becoming these huge conglomerate corporations that are screwing the farmer every day and have 19 managers sitting in an office making 150 grand a year now. You know, instead of one CEO that did twenty years ago, and it would have kept would have kept the money on the farm. Instead, we let everything in ag go corporate, corporate, corporate. Everybody get bigger, bigger, bigger. That'll work on a smaller margin, and it's very, very hard to reverse. So, what do you see, Matt? This thing's way down the road, right? Efficiency is <laughs> spectacular. You know, the flow of meat in terms of in terms of. Correct. The way these, it, it, yeah. the, the product, I have no issues with the product. Yeah. Um, and, and we see this every day. I, I represent many different kinds from big to small to uh, it, it, all different types of kinds of cattle. And that's not why I'm here. Um, because I believe this, that every producer has a right and an option and a privilege to breed cattle the way they want to breed them. Yep. And also they have, we are and you, and you touched on environments and it, there is not a one size fits all. There's not a one system fits all. And there's not an EPD or a number that fits all. Right. I believe that there's somewhat as an industry standard that we should look at, but how you choose to breed around that. You know, I look at this and 
this is definitely a David versus Goliath type deal. Okay, but when we look at this system, you know, when you're going to fight the fight, you know, if we're, we already know that we're outsized, okay? Well, I think that this thing has got to be fought. We've got to start from the local to a state. And just, and just, just like Steve had brought up, you know, he, he had said something about, you know, some governors got balls and some governors don't. We have some representation. We have some government, you know, government leaders, elected government leaders that we chose as people that will go to war for the people that they're actually doing their job. And I think the thing is, is I think we need to identify those states and we need to start putting some laws in some places that we need to do this. Another thing, uh, and, and, and nobody thinks about this, 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 this whole fake meat thing going on right mm. now or alternative meats, and, and whether you're for it or you're against it, I don't care, you know, whatever your choice is. But some of these states need to be thinking about passing some laws. And I, and I presented this, and I, and I presented this to a state senator, and I said, you know, within the state of Nebraska, this is an ag state, and this is particularly a cattle, cattle state. And I said, one thing that needs to be done right now is a law needs to be passed before this gets through. We need to put a 150, 200, 250% tax on that meat. So when you go to Burger King or you go to your grocery store, hey, we'll welcome your product there. But because I'm blessed to live in a state with property taxes as brutal as they are, (laughs) all of that tax off of that, if you're going to take away from my product, all of that is going to go back for property tax relief. Something to that. We need to get Absolutely. some states involved in some of these things. Okay, we're it, rather than just trying to take the approach, and I'm taking it at a completely different look, but rather than shutting down what you're doing, that's fine. We're just going to play their game. We're just going to tax you to death until the public says, you know what, I'm not going to give $25 for a hamburger. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and tell you about the health benefits of whether it's good or whether it's bad or whatever. That's your choice. It's your body, it's your life, it's your choice. But the thing about it is is me as a producer, we've got to get ahead of this thing. You know, if that's what if that's what they're talking in an alternative deal, then we got to take this approach as cattlemen and say we want this. Well, I think it you lead into a good point, Matthew. I mean, it's it's you know, one part of the the rectification of all this is is, uh, you know, people have to understand, I mean, in, in, in agriculture, as I've watched it my whole life, you know, we've kind of been takers, right? I mean, you kind of get what, you kind of get what the, the, the market or people say you should have, where, you know, in other businesses, in other ways of life, you look to position your leverage. We own the product. We own the product, right? I mean, if you had leadership, if you had people that can take an independent spirit, which is the American producer, and you can convince them that as a percentile or as a whole, you have some control here. You can do this. There might be some pain involved, but that's America. If you want something good to happen, if you want to create a path or a direction, there's going to be some pain. But going down the road we're going right now, if you don't want to go through the pain, you might have to go find something else to do, right? So if you if this thing means more to you than, you know, trying to pay the interest on your note, if this thing means about growing your community, growing your family, having a place where your grandkids, you know, can come and show a work ethic and come and, you know, turn a boy into a man, turn a girl into a woman, if this is what's part of the part that you're looking at, then we have to start a direction here that we are not just given something because we chose this way of lifestyle. We have to come to the marketplace and say, 
this is me today. You know, you brought up a good point. You know, we talk about a voice at the marketplace, and 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 I'm not going to get into the checkoff deal. Uh, there, there's many people that are for it. There's many people that are against it. Right. And uh, I, I had an opportunity to uh, uh, to uh, speak with a good friend of mine, and, and and he is from Colorado, and and a very active NCBA member. And we were we were just talking. It, it was two ranchers sitting down at the table, and we're having a good conversation. And I said. You know, me as a producer, and, you know, we we're talking about checkoff dollars and how it was allocated and the things were going. And, and, and I said, you know, I would like to see, I said, I would like to see those checkoff dollars. And if you go back in history, I said, I'd like to see, you want a seat at the table, take those checkoff dollars and buy shares in Tyson, JBS. And I understand about, you know, the profitability and whatnot, but all of a sudden we get enough shares in there. We get a voice at the table. That's the one thing as producers and cattlemen right now, we don't have a voice at the table. That's why we're here. Right. That's why we're all screaming. We, and, and if you go back in history and you, and, and you watch how we ended up with four, you know, I guarantee in this city right now that we sit in, in Omaha, Nebraska, in 1940 and 1950, how many packers, how many packing houses were in this city? A lot of them. There was more than four. I can guarantee you that. How did one eat the other one? publicly bought the shares all of a sudden we have controlling shares and i realize now today there's laws in place that that will not take place but you can get a voice in the table and i don't know if that's a solution but you know i'm I'm looking at some things outside of the box things that maybe we can do maybe there's a solution maybe there's some things that we can do you know but i do know this there's so damn few of us right now that all we're doing is fighting and and we're gonna we're gonna be carnivorous and we're we're gonna go away yeah we're going to eat ourselves to death, and that's the, that's the one scariest part about this whole situation. We've got to figure out some sort of solution in, in common ground. That's what some of the organizations are wanting to happen, isn't it, you guys? Uh, they're wanting us to, uh, to kill each other off. So, uh, I mean, and wasn't it just oh, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, didn't, wasn't there a rep- back in Washington, a panel of folks came up talking in front of the uh, a house hearing or whatever to talk about what was going on. And if I remember correctly, didn't we go, I feel like uh, talking to some of my friends, we kind of got blindsided a little bit by some of the people that are representing us. So, I mean, we can talk about it here. (laughs) Well, it's, it's just like the multiple associations and whatever. And and like Matt said, we're not, we're, we're all going to have a different opinion. Yeah. Um, and there's a common ground somewhere. What I can't take is over the last year or two or three, is there things I could say or do that would have benefited Steve Stratford or Pratt Livestock or so on and so forth, but not everybody else? Mm-hmm. And I hope to God, and I think I'm right here, but I've never done that. I mean, there's things that are personally would be good for me, but it's not good for the 95%. So I'm not going to support that. Right. If I can get up every day and keep the house electricity on and eat and do what I love, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we got to be careful not letting people represent us that have an elitist goal, a controlling goal. I mean, I want my niche to where i can serve the people i want to serve correctly i love the point Uh, i love the point in pratt kansas 
I'm a damn intelligent guy on Thursday. I'll I'm glad I'm there because it's the only time. I'll let him finish. But if I go to Okeechobee, Florida and pop in there, those people are infinitely smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. I am not a good cattle buyer there tomorrow. I pop into Matt's barns. I'm not. There's guys that have, you know, blood, sweat, tears, you know, they know what they're doing there. I walk in there, I'm going to get piss pounded and sent home, you know, out traded. Yep. Guarantee you. Because they're not still in them barns if they don't know nothing. It's a great point. And I'm, I'm, here, to, I'm here to back. I mean, I, I, what he's speaking is truth. I've known him 20 years. No doubt. Yeah. Greater vision. Bigger vision than making a score. And that's what vertical integration does. And I've often spoke about this. Vertical integration at its core eliminates the human factor. Yeah. They had a great thing I was telling Steve about the other day. They had a Walmart. I saw it pop up on thing. They had a Walmart that's trying to push people to the uh, – to the self-checkout. Mm. And uh, I wanted to post this for all beef people and people that support local stuff is all the people decided they had one cashier. They decided to line up with the cashier. I waited up to two, two hours, you know, instead of getting, instead of having a corporate deal, push them into what they wanted to do. Well, welcome to the cattle business. Yeah. Cause we've got a lot of people, associations, governments, um, you know, a lot of different entities that want to push us in a direction that benefits them. They could care less if we survive it. Matthew just said it. There's going to be a lot of people go, 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 go away. These people could care less if we go away. Us three at this table or four, we don't tick that way. We don't tick that way. My the, livelihood depends on people. the people. Right. Your livelihood depends on the people. Your livelihood depends on people. Your livelihood depends on people. And the one thing is, is you listen to this, and if you listen to this whole thing, all four people sitting in this podcast, absolutely, our livelihoods depend on your success. Don't forget that. In a free market. You may, yeah. whether you like any of us or you don't like any of us, for the fact is, is I want you to win. And that's all you've got to know. 100%. I can have everything I want in my life as long as I help you get what you want. And that's, that's, that's what this boils down to. You're in the livestock market industry. You buy, you buy cattle. You collect, you, you know, you're collecting bulls. You're, you're putting in embryos. You know, every one of us, we take out this ind- industry, all of us are fighting for the same job at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And what you got to realize, none of us could handle three times more than we do and do it right. No. Absolutely. I mean, I can't. Very correct. I mean, I've had people through this whole challenge we've been through call prior to the bull sale. Hey, You've done this, 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 this. I feel like I ought to buy bulls from you. Where do you get them? And wherever it is. How long have you got them there? 30 years. Don't buy a bull from me. Mm -hmm. They're obviously doing something right. I'm fighting for them as much as I am myself and you and my customers. It's competition. You know, I can't service you all right. You know, and anybody that thinks they can, anybody that wants this industry to get served by five seed stock producers, you flat lost it, folks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, even the sale barns keep migrating towards, and we see the competition, and, and, and what it's hard to see on a daily level is, and what the general public doesn't see. There's going to be three or four things here that we've talked about tied together, but <clears throat> like Matt was talking about the checkoff, and and I was a big driver, and Chris, uh, behind getting that, that reformed. Um. 
the thing there is with the fake meat is that's classified as a competitive protein now. In 1984, we had no idea that was coming down the pike. And so here we have a producer that pays a dollar head on everything, and we cannot advertise against or promote our product against fake meat mm. by the bylaws of the checkoff. It's outdated. That, it needs reform for that, if nothing else. Yeah, that, that argument where I found washes through the minds of guys in suits, they make sense of it. The people in rural America, they're like, dumbest thing I've ever heard. Alternative milk takes right? 22%. I mean, so this is the disconnect. This is the disconnect that Steve's talking about. The disconnect is we, have ad, we don't have advocates for people that don't understand our way of life. They don't. And we have to start moving as this thing. And part of the correction here is to start align ourselves. We have to partake in this political process. We, we, don't, we don't have a choice no. in America. We sit, don't. Sit back too long. Right. If we don't fight for ourselves less, there's not one person out there that will do it for you. No. And we've got one issue. We're an independent people. That's why we ranch. But these independent people, as part of the correction here, as part of bringing this lifestyle and saving our lifestyle, good people need to quit being silent. They need to quit being silent. They need to stand up for what they believe. Don't stand up for me. Don't stand up for Steve. You, Matt, don't, don't stand up. because Stand up because you want this way of life to continue. Have an opinion. Enter the debate. Because the debate is way down the tracks here. And we're pulling here together because this thing's way down the tracks. Yeah. And we need, we've got one ditch effort here before, uh, we've got one ditch effort here before uh, this thing gets real. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, and Steve and I talked about it. I think if it, you know, and God works in mysterious ways, but because of this drought in the Northwest, Matthew, and because of what happened with the PPE payments, there'd have been a lot of people out of this business this last year that are still in today, struggling, barely surviving, but there'd have been a lot of there'd have been a lot of people exit the cattle business over the last twelve to eighteen months if it wasn't for the promise or you know having to get some cash throw through selling cows and, and or the PPE payments. But we're this business is teetering. It's teetering. And as I travel my hundred thousand miles plus a year, it's just not localized. It's all across the country. It's all across the country. So the problem is everybody wants to be a specialist. And get as much margin in, in that spot as they can. And sometimes I say things that probably come across as I see black helicopters or or vindictive towards one person, and I'm not. You are not. As individuals and personal, mm -hmm. I may like you and respect you. If I think you're dead wrong, I'm still going to jump in the middle of your ass. Yeah. And, like, there's a lot of things our, our American Angus Association does I think is dead wrong. We're out here pumping sunshine up everybody's ass to make these things bigger, 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 bigger. Mm -hmm. That's great. As a cattle feeder, I love running into those ones that can gain 5'3 and make way 17 and perform their ass off. I, I'll sit there and buy them every day, all day. The problem is that's good for the packer. And that's going to put that Montana rancher out if he buys that into that Kool-Aid because that female won't survive there and she won't breed back. Here's the next level. This is the unfair game. I buy cattle for entities that get a premium for carcasses above 1100 Premium. Hmm. The bull you sell to a rancher for 
$15,000, that's 165 at a year, and plus 107 carcass weight, he takes him home, proud of him, works his ass off, retains the progeny, sends him to Western Kansas Yard. They make him feed him three weeks longer than they do the corporate mongoloid. He's too big. He loses $25 a hundred in the meat for what an outfit that can feed 200000 get a premium for. It's not the same game. The association goes back to the spinning those numbers and the refs. Yeah, need to inform people of that. You make a decision for your profitability, your ranch, not what all these magazines are saying. JBS wants the same thing with Optiflex and the hormones. You do a true study on Optiflex; it is nothing but a tonnage assistant for the Packers. The late period feeding deads. And the added carcass weight and the cost of the, it just gives them that extra percent of tonnage a week. What does that depress the market? And some of the outfits, it's where I don't want to act like it's personal. I understand why they have the special deal. They did it to stay in business because they had nobody fighting for them to get the margin for them to continue the way it was before. And so they get the opportunity, since they have 200000 to throw the 30,000 head yards under the bus. Now you walk into our building on auction day and you're buying feeder cattle. So you have this AMA. You're going to get 50, 80, 100, whatever. We don't even know. Dollars a head more than this 30,000 head guy trying to stay in business. Or the 1,000 head guy in Iowa. You're probably getting a guarantee of the basis when you ship them fats and so you can go to the board and hedge them on a $20 head margin where he can't work on that margin and he doesn't have anybody fixing the basis for him. That's not the same rules. Right, right. So here's what happens. In 1995, I'm the kid out back pushing kettle in there and running up to buy a few calves for a farmer and goddamn glad to do it. The big wheels were Cargill, Montford, Foxley, Coke. They bought them all. They've all quit feeding cattle. Hmm. They couldn't buy against the farmer feeders in Nebraska, Iowa, and Illinois. They couldn't outwork them. We beat them. They sold to entities that could run feed yards, but would agree to an AMA, and they still got control of the same headcount of cattle. They could not beat us at our business. They quit. The rules got changed for them to succeed. That's what's wrong. They They're, can't outwork us. They can't outknowledge us. They got different rules. There it is in a nutshell. Yeah. That's what I've seen for 30 years. And, and we lost our quality control. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, it's the rules changed. Mm-hmm. And like it said in 1921, they foresaw this. They foresaw this. That's why they focused on no special deals. Comes to the market, it's traded. It's traded. It's competitive. It's robust. That's what America is. America is about a rope. We're not, we, this country is not built on corporations. It's built on small business, 
It's built on uh, the value of land. It's built on what a cow can take, green grass, in seven-eighths of this country and turn it into a marketable product. If this stuff goes away and we start moving down the line of a corporate America, it's anti-American. It's anti-American. And I'm an old-time conservative. I'm an old-time conservative. And I, I'm, I'm for free trade and market. But there comes a line where you have to protect the individual. And right now in the cattle-to-beef scenario, there's protection for no individual. None. There's yeah. only protections for the wealthy you and know, the corporations. You know, we sit here and we talk about all of this. We all have different ideas. If something doesn't change, we all have different ideas. What is going to happen? You know, the guy that walks out on his porch and is silent, and if we all remain silent and walks out on his porch and walks through his ranch and looks at his cows, speed up 15 years from now. In your opinion, what is that ranch going to look like? Who's going to own those cows? Because maybe this is a reality. Maybe this is the motivator of the situation, not, not the things we need to do. This is what happens if you don't. Yeah, let's go to Steve's point. This is how you save it. If you go out on your own ranch and all you're worried about is your own ranch, we won't survive it. You won't survive it. You have to worry. It's like when you go to vote. If you go to vote to feed, feed, feed yourself, but you're not going to vote to support the Constitution or America, then that vision, then they use that against you, and that's what's happened here. They use that individual thing of protectionism against you. We, as an independent people, have to support our neighbors. We have to support local communities, things that are outside of a corporate structure. This has to change in rural, rural America. It has to. And no longer, I don't think, can you look at your neighbor and hope that he can go out of business so you can buy his place. That guy needs to stay. We've talked about diversity and competition today. Matthew, all of us see it every day. We see what value it brings. We see when people go and they build a brand and they go to the market and they're different and they're active and they're chargy. We know what that brings. And like it or not, that brings dollars, value, and it brings a lifestyle that people want to be part of. I mean, I hate to say this right now, but we are not an attractive lifestyle. We have to become an attractive lifestyle for the youth, for young people. We have to be, this has to be an exciting business. And what will bring that is competition. Wow. You guys are passionate. Well, so we're going to, uh, we're going to stretch this into two episodes. So that's going to be it for today's episode. Folks, be sure and tune in next week for uh, the episode number two of The Bullpen with Matt Lowry. Steve Strafford, Chris Earle. Uh, take a listen, maybe listen to this a couple times, and really think about what these gentlemen have said, because they are passionate. Uh, I, you can feel it in their voice. You can see it in their body language. They are passionate, and they're fighting for us. So uh, thanks for listening to the bullpen today. Be sure to tune in next week for the second episode. A Huda Media Production.